You know, at this time, uh, we wanted as many people to celebrate the baptism uh, as possible. So there are some kids that normally meet downstairs and meet with our teachers. And at this time, if you would uh, make your way back to find your teachers, and they'll go downstairs with you. All right? We really are so glad that you are here today to be able to celebrate with these families and with our community. There's nothing quite like an opportunity to be able to hear someone's story. Even as a newer pastor here, as I meet some of you for the first time, or I think I meet you for the first time, one of the things that I ask all the time is, hey, can I sit down with you? I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. I'd love to hear, if you've come to faith, how that happened. Because that is an amazing story. Where once we were dead, and now we're alive. Because of God's grace and because of God's mercy. That story never, ever, ever gets old. And that's why maybe there's someone even right here who has never been baptized, who's come to faith and said, you know what, maybe the next time these guys do this, we should think about it. So I'm, I'm encouraging you, because I think it is a great thing to be able to hear God's story in each one of your lives. You know, every Sunday our community gathers to worship. We sing, we pray, we serve, we give, Sometimes we dunk, but we always open up God's Word. You know, Peter, the author of the book we're looking at, which is 1 Peter, recognizes that time is short. He is sharing with a group of kingdom patriots how to live as exiles, as temporary residents, as foreigners, as sojourners, while trying to anticipate the next. The first century believers were trying to journey well. They were trying to figure this out. They were trying to decipher what it means to live for God with all their hearts and yet anticipate an amazing eternity. Well, these people were struggling and these folks were discouraged and these folks were going through some really, really hard times. So Peter focuses on God. In fact, it's a good practice. As we go through difficult times, we never know what tomorrow's going to bring. We never know all the different challenges that might come to us. But we do know God. And our God is king, and our God is sovereign, and our God is worthy to be trusted And so that's what Peter does. He knows God is his friend and God is his wise counselor. He knows that God is the one that gives him strength and perspective for the journey. Today, though, in our text, Peter believes the end is near. He focuses on the urgent and the simple. You see, Peter's life was not complicated before he began to follow Jesus. It was filled with boats and nets and fish and sweat and hard work and family. Probably the nitty-gritty of life. 
we see, though, his rugged personality and his no-nonsense approach to life come through his words today. There's no real interest in scholarly debate. He talked about life, real life. Observing real life often leads us to simple. So today, he simply encourages those in the trenches. In light of this, Peter in the next few verses is going to focus on four actions or four things to do. This morning, we're only going to look at three of them. And you will be so excited. You can hardly even wait till next week because next week we'll hit the fourth one. Okay? But today, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 7 and read through 9. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Let's pray. Father, these words really are not new to most of us. We've heard them. We may have even memorized them. And, and sometimes, Father, the, the familiar, well, seems to take the back seat. We ask today that you would teach us. We ask today that you would help us understand what it means to pray, what it means to love, and what it means to be hospitable. God, we know that you modeled for us. And we pray that we would understand that your spirit would be so abundantly clear and that we would leave here energized. In Jesus' name, amen. The end of the world is coming soon. Now, if we look at this, this was approximately 30 years after Jesus had died. And it's been about 2,000 years. So if we just look at this and we wonder, well, um, Peter, you said the world's going to end soon, and it's been a whole long time. What are you talking about? Another way to look at this might be Christ's return is close. This would be a, um, the doctrine of imminence. Now, for some of you, that's a, that's a new word. But really, the doctrine of imminence just says this, is that Jesus Christ will suddenly or unexpectedly return. That we are ready for him to come and call his family home. It seems like an odd way to live. In other words, Jesus could come right now. He could come in an hour. He could come in two weeks. Or he could come in 2,000 more years. We don't know. The Revolutionary War Minutemen motto was this. Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. I think that's kind of what Peter is saying. He's saying that we're not sure when Jesus is going to come. Everything is ready for Jesus to come. But we better keep our powder dry. In our Western world, we're very time conscious. We love things in chronological order. And we love to be able to predict when Jesus is coming back. 
And I can tell you, for centuries, I have heard, this is the year. This is the generation. So we will not die before we see Jesus. And you know what the truth is? That may be true. It may be. But we really don't know. One of my favorite commentators, Wayne Grudem, says this about this specific verse. Peter thinks in terms of redemptive history. From that perspective, all the previous acts in the drama of redemption have been completed. Creation, the fall, the calling of Abraham, the exodus, uh, the kingdom of Israel, the exile in Babylon, and the return the birth of Christ, his life, death, resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to establish the church. The great last act, the church age, has been continuing um, for about 30 years by the time Peter wrote. Thus the curtain could fall at any time, ushering in the return of Christ. Ultimately, Christians who believe Christ will return at any time, they actually behave in a different way. They they just do. They walk with God, and they listen to God, and they anticipate God. They recognize that, whoa, I may be around a long time, but this may be the day. This just may be the day. So what Peter is really saying is this. Because the end is imminent. Because Jesus can come back at any moment, including right now. I want you to focus on four things. We're going to look at three. But four things. Because Christ is close. I want you to pray. I want you to love. And I want you to be hospitable. Oh. So let's look at the first one. Peter says this, Therefore, or in light of all this, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. You know, if I were to take a poll, even right now, and say, what are some areas in your life that you would like to grow? You're walking in this relationship with God, and just about everybody here would probably be able to say, prayer, you know what, I could probably do a little better there. I probably need to grow a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what you want me to do all the time, God, but prayer, it always feels like I could do more. Now, my purpose this morning is not to beat you up because I can say the same thing. I think it would be good for me to grow in prayer. But prayer simply is a communication with God. Prayer is something that if we don't take time for it, we probably don't have as rich of a relationship with God that we could have. You see, so much of the time, we hear from God. We open up God's Word. We come and hear a preacher preach at times. Maybe you play a podcast. Maybe you have some different devotionals. And and you open this up, and God talks to you. But many times our response to God or our listening to God is rather short. Sometimes it's only three times a day or four times a day. And it's very quick. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Let's go. 
And you look at that and you go, well, hey, I thank God for our food. You're right. You did. And, and I don't want to say that's bad. But sometimes we just look at this talking to God, well, casually. If we're honest, it feels a little foreign. And no matter how much we try to talk to God or speak to God, sometimes it feels like God is not there. Or we feel like we're just talking to the ceiling. Or are you ever going to answer me? And we give God ultimatums, and sometimes we forget that, like in any relationship, you just have a conversation. Peter says this, be earnest, be passionate, be focused. We may not always understand how important it is, but any of those folks right now who are sitting here and are married especially, you know how important communication is. You just do. Um, you can sit at a meal silently and just eat your food. Or you can catch up and you can chat and you can talk. Most people who communicate back and forth are the people who have deeper relationships. Peter also says be disciplined, know the news, be informed. And what I would say, put it on the calendar. And maybe you're not so disciplined that you have to put everything on your calendar. But I would say this, is that oftentimes if I don't put it on my calendar, I don't do it. Now it might be something very simple and you might want to pray at a certain time every day. But I know this, is that if we don't purposely put down some things, Oftentimes, our busy schedules cause us to forget it. You know what I thought I'd do today? And I don't often do this, but I thought I would just go through some scriptures. Because Rick can say prayer's important all he wants. And we can even look at this and remember certain things about prayer. What I thought I would do is just simply, let's look at what the Bible has to say. And what's so cool about the Bible is that if you're a God follower, you read the Bible, you listen to the Bible, every time the Bible is opened up, and you just simply ask this question, God, what is it that you're telling me today? And literally, what do I need to do? What is it that I'm not seeing? Where's a blind spot for me, God? So I thought, again, we would look at a plethora of scriptures. And you can mark it down, or you can just look it up, or you can open your own Bibles, but we're going to go rather fast here. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Now, I'm not that smart sometimes, and we can look at the Greek, and I'm at, you know, what tense this is, and But I think really what Paul is saying is pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. That's what I think, you know. And all times means, well, not all times. Really, there, there must be some kind of Greek innuendo here that probably just says when it's convenient. 
But I don't see that. Well, Rick, how can you really pray at all times? That's kind of like, that's way over the board. Well, Paul says, pray in the Spirit. And, And you know what's unique about that? Is that pray by means of the Spirit. Pray that you're connected with God. I know this, I can't pray all time in the Spirit if I have sin in my life. So what happens is that I become more and more sensitive to the sin or the rebellion in my own life, and I start confessing a whole lot more because if I'm supposed to be praying in the Spirit, I'm not connected with God if there's some kind of sin in my life. So realistically, if I'm going to listen to the apostle here, and I'm going to pray in the Spirit, there's going to be a lot of confessing. There's going to be a lot of listening. And I'm just going to be talking back and forth. And it can be driving, and I can be in my room, and I can be in the office. But I'm going to be talking back and forth with him. Because on every occasion, whether I'm happy or sad, God wants to hear from me. He said, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Oh, my word. Like, all believers everywhere. Do you know how many all believers everywhere is? You know. I mean, just in this church, there's 200 maybe. That would take really a long time, Rick. It cannot possibly mean all believers everywhere. Well, actually, I think it does. And we're going to find a little later that we're not only going to pray just for all believers, but we're going to pray for people that don't know Jesus yet. Say, Rick, I would be praying all the time if I... Yes. Now, I'm not saying you can't pound nails because you're praying. Although I'm pretty sure you can pound nails while you're praying. That's all. God brings to our mind often different people all the way through the day. Certain things, you drive by a certain store. You drive by a certain scenario. You drive by a certain street. There's always people that come to mind. Maybe God is just whispering, Hey, Rick, why don't you pray for him or her? Maybe it's important to do that. James 5.13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Now, I could have you just raise your hands right now and say, how many people are, you know what, when you're hurting, pray. It's really important that you do that. Matthew 5.44, but Jesus said this, he's in the Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon Jesus preached, um, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, okay, this is another whole new category. I'm going to pray for people that don't like me. And not only don't like me, but are going to make life miserable for me. Whoa. I'm supposed to love them and then pray for them. Now, come on, you are just pushing things. See, so all of a sudden our prayer life's getting a little longer. All right? Proverbs 15, 8. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. Wouldn't that be cool to literally, have you delighted the Lord? He loves listening to you. That blows me away, to be quite honest. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep 
on praying. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, Paul says. Oh, baby. Some of you say, don't worry, Rick. I don't worry. I am just concerned about things. Okay? I'll change it a little bit. Don't worry or be concerned about anything. Well, Rick, I'm, a, I'm getting closer to retirement age. and <laughs> You know what? I got to make a little bit more money. Or, or you know what? My kid just went away to school. Or you know what? I'm getting a little bit serious with this girl. And, you know what? Um, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Rick, I don't need to tell God what I need because God really knows everything, so he probably just knows. Uh, He does. And I don't know why I need to tell God everything. Read the Psalms, folks. Do you, do they just pour their hearts out. I mean, sometimes they shock you. You're not supposed to talk to God like that. Actually, tell God about your need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to... Devote. Oh, whoa. Devote means... Devote. The new Greek term. Devote. Make it a priority. That means it's a passion. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Oh, baby. Oh, baby isn't in there, but never stop praying. Never stop praying. Talk to God all the time. All the time. And lastly, 1 Peter 2.1. <laughs> I had to put this one in. I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Oh, boy. There's a lot of people. All people. Maybe this is even just, God, what people? Because I can't really pray for all people. But how about this? I'll pray for all people that you bring to mind. I don't do that, God. Did you ever pray for the cashier at Jewel while you're standing in line? They need prayer sometimes, you know? But think of it. Why are you at Jewel and why are you in that line? Maybe because God wants you to pray for that poor person. I have no idea. But this is all I'm saying. And this is what's going on. Now, Jesus told stories and modeled for us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Now, one of the things that just energizes me is that you look at Jesus, and honestly, he had such a great relationship with his dad, but there were times that that actually God, that he and God needed to connect all night long. Like, how can you talk that much? How is that possible? Wasn't he tired? Well, I guess even above sleep that night, he decided it was important enough to talk to his dad. Talk to his dad. Wow. Learning from saints of old. Uh, Some of these people you know and some you respect, but 
Uh, these, these folks are, are really unbelievable f- people. Oswald Chambers, he said this, We think of prayer as preparation for work or a calm after having done work, whereas prayer is essential work. John Wesley, he was a little bit um, overactive, but this is what he said. Prayer is where the action is. Andrew Murray, one of the greatest prayers around, we must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its power down to earth. Elizabeth Elliot, one of my favorite people, unbelievable saint, she said this, people who ski happen to enjoy skiing. They have time for skiing, they can afford to ski, and are good at skiing. I have found that I often treat prayer as though it were a sport like skiing. Something if you do, or something you do if you like it. Something you do in your spare time. Something you do if you can afford the trouble. Something you do if you're good at it. Otherwise, you do without it most of the time. When you get in a pinch, you try it. And then you call an expert. But prayer is not a sport. It's work. Well, how do we grow in prayer? How does that happen? As I shared before, we, we need to grow personally. We need to grow corporately. Personally, I think, again, maybe just start with some baby steps. Put it in your calendar. Pray at a consistent time every single day. Make a list. Or maybe some of you are really good at journaling. Do a prayer journal. I know it's hard, but if you start some habits, usually 30 days, doing it the same way, the same time, there's a good chance it becomes a habit. I'd also say this, you listen and read prayers. With the internet, it's unbelievable. I teach a class up north every, every year at Nicolay Bible Institute, and one of the areas we try to encourage the students to do is grow in prayer. I used to print out all these prayers and had these books on it, and, and now you can just Google it. All right, Google Charles Spurgeon's prayers. It'll blow you away. When you read how someone who walks with God for a long time prays. Now this isn't again to make you um, guilty or ashamed. This is to help us understand we can pray differently. When Jesus' disciples said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray because every time you pray, it doesn't sound at all like what I pray. Teach me. And that's what Jesus did. You know, we need to grow corporately. You know, there are so many amazing things that happen in this church. But one of the things, and you've done this before, is meet as a community just to pray. I'm going to call it a prayer concert. But realistically, this Tuesday at 7 o'clock, I'm going to invite all of you that can come to come back. And we're going to pray for an hour. Normally, on the, the first Thursday in May, uh, it's called the National Day of Prayer. Well, it didn't exactly work out for us to do that. So we're going to have our National Day of Prayer on May 2nd and start a new trend. Okay, it's a Tuesday. And I would encourage you to come and to pray as a congregation because actually I'm hoping that we grow in this area. Charles Spurgeon said this. As you can tell, I kind of like Charlie, all right? 
He said this. Actually, he was talking to some pastors. He said, if a church is to be what it ought to be for the purposes of God, we must train it in holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. Even if there were only one such, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting is the only skeleton of a gathering. The form is kept up, but the people do not come. There's no interest, no power in connection and with the meeting. Oh, my brothers, Charles says, let it not be so with you. Do train the people to continually meet together for prayer. Rouse them to incessant supplication. There is a holy art in it. Study to show yourself approved by the prayerfulness of your people. If you pray yourself, you will want them to pray with you. And when they begin to pray with you and for you and for the work of the Lord, they will want more prayer themselves. And the appetite will grow. Believe me, if a church does not pray, it is dead. Instead of putting united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge upon the prayer the, the power of prayer in the church. I think, again, it's an area we can grow in. Secondly, Peter says this, Most important of all, continue to show great love or deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Most important, Peter says, show love. Not just love, but show love. You see, one of the things, remember, Peter was there when Jesus was asked this in Matthew 22. Hey, what's the most important thing, Jesus? You're a great rabbi. And Jesus spit out very quickly. I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And I want you to love others as you love yourself. Peter knew that. Peter understood it. Peter was a good Jewish boy. But he also knew after three years walking with Jesus and 30 years later pastoring churches, he said, most important, show love. The word here is be determined to love. It's almost like an idea who's an, an idea of an athlete who is trying to finish his race. He says, I want you to love like this because love covers a multitude of sins or offenses. You see, lack of love causes misunderstanding and conflict. There's mistrust and suspicion. But love allows you to overlook offenses, even forget about them. Overlook doesn't mean ignore. It actually means that you talk to God about it and let it go. Well, what is love? Well, the perfect definition of love is found in John 3.16, a verse most every one of you know. And in that verse, it says, For God loved our world so much. And because we're slow, he told us what love is. He gave. Love is giving. Love is giving up your life for somebody else. Love is serving somebody else else. Oh, it's hard sometimes. It is. In just about every wedding, you will hear the definition of love. And it's so wonderful because you've got a couple gazing at each other saying, we are going to love you this way. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 
4, going through verse 7. And if you haven't been married and you're planning a wedding soon, don't let me be sarcastic here to say don't use this passage. It's very good. But the truth is, is that most of the time when you're standing at the altar, you have no idea what this means. That's all. Look what Paul says. Love is patient and kind. Okay. (laughs) That means if you love someone, you will be patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Really. If I love someone, I don't... uh, Oh, okay. Love is not irritable. I call it wearing crabby pants. Maybe that's what my wife calls it, that I wear crabby pants. This is cool. And love keeps no record of being wrong. Oh, my word. Isn't that like the ultimate parent thing? I remember when... This is the 47th time that. And you keep a record. Wow. I'm not trying to even give parent advice right now. I'm just saying that that love doesn't keep a record. I love when the disciples were kind of figuring out how many times you have to forgive somebody. And he said, Jesus, I, I, you know, um, or the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, well, how many times do... And Jesus says, oh, quit keeping track. Just keep forgiving. Just do that. Trust your God to take care of it. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices in the truth, wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith and is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. So, love everyone always. You guys have seen this around. Again, sometimes we look at what some other churches are kind of promoting and pushing. But I'll tell you, Willow Creek has this one right. They do. It's kind of exciting. Last October, they decided to go into a series. And mostly because there was such a unbelievable, ugly attitude toward our elections, to be quite honest. And, and there were a lot of harsh things said on both sides. And they started to talk about loving everybody always, that that is really, really, really important. And I started to see all these yard signs go up, and then sometimes that's kind of funny, you know, yard signs going up. But in my little neighborhood, and, and again, my, my subdivision, I, I don't know how many houses are in there. 150, 200 houses in Lake Zurich, right, you know, between Rand and Cuba and, and Deer Park or Deer Path. And in that section, on my way from my house to Rand Road, I passed six of these signs on the lawns. My daughter has two in her neighborhood. And I know it's easy to just whip out a sign. I do. But it's kind of like putting something, you know, a fish on your bumper and then drive like a madman or a mad woman. Oh, those Christians, they drive really nice. They cut off better than I've ever been cut off. You know? 
And all of a sudden you start to declare to others that you care about them and you want to treat them differently. Wow. I do know that Jesus said that we will be known who our master is by how much we love others. In John 13, the last thing he said, he goes, people are going to know you're my disciple if, if you just love people. And go back to those definitions. Love is patient and kind. Just go through it. It's impossible list unless you walk with God and let him change you. You can't love and neither can I unless God is going to do the loving through you. I know love looks different toward those who are not yet redeemed and those who are redeemed. And I don't have a lot of time to actually go into this. But the truth is, is that the scripture does share that we can love others within the church differently than we love those who are not redeemed. All right. There is some accountability that happens in a family. There's accountability that happens in a community. And I do think loving a brother or sister sometimes means you go the hard path. And there's confrontation. I do. But it's beautiful. I also know loving those that don't have any idea who the king is and loving those who have no clue of who God is and they're just living for themselves. They're doing the best they can and... I mean, why wouldn't you do certain things if you didn't have Jesus as king? And yet some of us, we try to make them behave actually like loving God followers. I think some of us probably need to love them differently. How do you love them and hate their sin? Well, how do we grow in love? We love our family, I think, first. One of the hardest things in the whole world, honestly, is being kind and loving and caring and patient to your wife. Now, if you have a perfect wife, which you mine's right pretty close, all right, then, you know, being the patient and kind thing is not so hard. But if you have a wife that's a little rambunctious, or perhaps a little persnickety. Oh boy. It's a little harder. And vice versa. The truth is, I think loving your family, the one under your roof at home and the one under this roof, takes some effort. I think loving um, the hard to love, those who are neighbors or those who are without a Savior, I think loving uh, might look like filling up some first-way bottles and helping, well, some, some women who need some love and encouragement in their lives. Or maybe it's showing up on work day next Saturday. Because there's a whole lot of people who are volunteers here who are working and serving children and other ministries and there's a lot of clutter and we might be able to encourage their hearts. Lastly, Paul says this, or Peter says this, cheerfully, without grumbling or murmuring, show hospitality. 
Earnest love, which seeks the good of others before one's own, finds practical expression in hospitality. Now, the thing that really stuck out to me is, you know, we're pretty good at being hospitable to the people we like, or most of the time, all right? But what hit me was this, without resenting the time or the cost. Well, you know what? I'd like to have so-and-so over, but you know how much that would cost. And then I have to go prepare, and then I have to cook, and then we have to clean up. And then maybe even this, we have to clean the house. Holy schmoly, you know how long that's going to take? And you're just praying that people would be invited. No, I, I, I just... And, and we look at this, and usually such grumbling ultimately is a complaint against God. Because God has put certain people in your lives and certain scenarios in your life, and you get an opportunity to grace them and love them and encourage them. But Paul says this. Oh, my word. Peter says this. He says, those who need a meal, be hospitable. There is something about having somebody over for dinner. There is something about eating together. You know, in the near future, we're going to be doing something called Dinners of Six. And it isn't, again, kind of a snazzy new program. What this is, is there are so many well-connected people in our church. But we also have some folks that have come out new in the, next, in the last month or two months. And we'd love to be able to take some who are connected well at this church and connect others who are not well-connected. And to be able to have them over at our homes. And be able to get to know them and hear their stories. And I'm hoping some of you are going to respond. Say, yeah, we'd like to do that. We'd like to get connected and learn about other people's stories. Something else that's going to be coming up, and this is going to happen right here, it's going to be called Hot Dog Sunday. Oh, some of you can't wait for that, you know. The truth is this. What we're going to do is, realistically, we're going to provide a meal right after church. And there's nothing fancy about it. It's a hot dog, folks, okay? But it's not just a hot dog. It's a conversation. It's an opportunity to connect with other people. And our tendency will be to sit around tables that we have all of our friends. Because we want to hang out with our friends. But my hope is that we sit around with people that we might not know so well. Maybe some of those who need lodging. You know, a few weeks back, uh, Sarah shared a ministry called Bloom Ministry. Bloom. Opportunity to be able to take some Eastern European kids in for a while. Kind of a foreign exchange program. And I'll take four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks. And, and some of you responded. And, and there's some that can't respond to a ministry like that. I get it. But I wonder, how cool is that, that God is sending people that probably don't know him to America, and we get an opportunity to love them or be hospitable? That might be fun to think about. And maybe God's convicting you in those areas. All they had to say is this. Intimacy with God changes all our behavior. Evaluation helps us understand maybe where we need to grow. But ultimately, when Peter says, hey, let's pray, let's 
love, and let's be more hospitable. What he's saying is, spend more time with our God. He will change you from the inside so that you desire to literally talk to him more. Maybe you still need to hang out with folks and learn how to do that better. I get it. Or maybe we need to have certain people walk in our path so we can love them unbelievably well. And our reputation is we get cared for in that place or in that household or in that neighborhood. Can you imagine what kind of impact? And lastly, man, they're always feeding somebody. They're always caring for somebody. Let's be earnest in prayer and love and hospitality and let God change us together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you, dear Lord, that you want a relationship with us and that relationship with us changes everything. I pray, Father, that you would walk with us as a group of people, as individuals, that we would be able to grow in these areas. Lord, we know that you can come back anytime, and we know that time is short, and we know that we need to pay attention to your soft voice, your soft, still voice. Talk to us, God. Change us. Give us a sense of what's important. In Jesus' name, amen.